Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello, BTK listeners. This is Patrick. I've got Kevin, Jason, and John here with me, and we are thrilled to introduce the Behind the Knife's premium general surgery oral board review. Today, you'll hear a sample scenario from this comprehensive audio review course, which includes 92 scenarios that meticulously cover 115 score core topics. The course has an exciting and entirely unique format. Each of the 92 scenarios includes two parts. The first part is a perfectly executed oral board scenario that mimics the real thing. Scenarios are five to seven minutes long and include a variety of tactics and styles. If you're able to achieve this level of performance in your preparation, you are sure to pass the oral exam with flying colors. The second part introduces high-yield commentary to each scenario. This commentary includes tips and tricks to help you dominate the most challenging scenarios in addition to practical, easy-to-understand teaching that covers the most confusing topics that we face as general surgeons. We are confident you will find this unique, dual-format approach a highly effective way to prepare for the test. So why did we take this on? Well, we simply were not happy with the other oral board prep courses out there. First off, they're ridiculously expensive. No one should have to pay that much. Second, their content is subpar and out of date, so we took matters into our own hands. This oral board review course was designed to not only outperform the competitors, but also save you hundreds of dollars. You should also know that revenue generated from this course will be put right back into Behind the Knife to support creation of more awesome content. It's a win-win for everyone involved. To learn more about Behind the Knife's premium general surgery oral board review, visit www.behindthenife.org and click on the premium tab. You can access additional oral board review material, including a 10-part review series and supplementary mock oral board scenarios by clicking Listen, Series, and then Oral Boards, or by simply searching Oral Boards. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, register for a free Category 1 CME, and even purchase some merchandise. For regular updates, follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right, with that, let's get started with part A, a perfectly executed oral board scenario that mimics the real thing. Behind the Knife Premium. Scenario 16, Esophageal Perforation, developed by Jason Bingham, read by Jason Bingham and Kevin Canary. So you have a 55-year-old male who presents to the emergency department six hours following an EGD complaining of substernal chest pain. Initial vital signs reveal sinus tachycardia and a systolic blood pressure of 85 millimeters mercury. He is febrile to 39 degrees Celsius. On exam, you hear a systolic crunchy sound at the left sternal border. There are diminished lung sounds in the left lower lobe, and subcutaneous emphysema is present. Labs are notable for a white count of 18,000, but otherwise unremarkable. How would you like to proceed? Okay, in this situation, I am highly suspicious for an iatrogenic esophageal perforation from his recent EGD with sepsis physiology given his tachycardia and hypotension. I would immediately evaluate the patient, establish large bore IV access, begin resuscitation with crystalloid, and start broad-spectrum antibiotics, including antifungal coverage. I'd also want a STAT EKG to rule out cardiac ideology of a substernal chest pain. EKG reveals sinus tachycardia. What antibiotics would you want to start? In this patient, I would begin with broad coverage, including vancomycin, zosin, and fluconazole. Okay. What next? With the resuscitation started, I would proceed with a thorough history and physical 
specifically focusing on any pre-existing cardiovascular disease, history of GERD or peptic ulcer disease, Crohn's, ethanol and tobacco use, or any other risk factors for gastroesophageal malignancy. I'd also want to know the reason for the EGD and review the report if available. So he does have a history of alcohol and tobacco abuse. Uh, the EGD was performed for medically refractory GERD with a finding of mild esophagitis, for which he was started on a daily PPI by his gastroenterologist. His history is otherwise unremarkable. I'd obtain a portable chest x-ray and continue resuscitation. So your x-ray reveals a pneumomediastinum with a small left pleural effusion. With his history and imaging, this is highly suggestive of an esophageal perforation. Once I've adequately resuscitated the patient, I would obtain an esophagram with water-soluble contrast for localization of the perforation. What would you do if your you know, gastrographin swallow was negative for a leak? I would repeat the study with thin barium. Okay. Um, uh, do you have any other options? Yeah, sometimes we do a double contrasted CT scan. It can be useful in diagnosing esophageal perforation as well as ruling out other possible pathologies on the differential However, with a high suspicion for esophageal perforation, such as this case, an esophagram is the preferred study due to its ability to better localize a leak. So your esophagram shows a distal esophageal perforation with extravasation of contrast into the left chest. Okay, so I need to take this patient emergently to the operating room for a thoracotomy in order to control the leak and drain the left chest. Okay, can you describe how you would do that? I would position the patient in the right lateral decubitus position preferably with single lung ventilation if tolerated. I would then perform a thoracotomy through the seventh intercostal space, harvesting the intercostal muscle flap on the way and later to be used as a repair buttress. I would mobilize the esophagus, debride necrotic tissue, and perform a vertical myotomy to fully expose the mucosal injury. I would perform a two-layer repair with a vicral inner layer and a silk outer layer, using my previously harvested intercostal flap to buttress the repair. I'd perform a leak test through an NG tube inserted by anesthesia just proximal to the injury, then have the NG passed into the stomach. I would then irrigate the thorax with warm, sterile saline, place two chest tubes, one basilar and one apical, and then close the thoracotomy. Prior to leaving the OR, I would establish enteral access with the feeding jejunostomy performed through a separate, small upper abdominal incision. Okay. Uh, so how do you, uh, you do all that? It goes well. How would you manage this patient uh, postoperatively? I would admit him to the ICU for monitoring and continue broad-spectrum coverage given his sepsis physiology. I would continue NG on low intermittent wall suction and provide enteral feeds through the J-tube provided he has evidence of bowel function. I would monitor the chest tube output and place them on water seal provided serial x-rays demonstrated appropriate lung expansion and no effusion accumulation. Uh, when he, so he's awake. When, when are you going to let him eat? So if he's doing well on postoperative day five, I would repeat an esophagram. And if there's no evidence of leak, I would remove the NG tube and start him on a liquid diet. On the, so let's say on the postoperative esophagram, uh, there appears to be a small leak at your repair site. What would you do then? Okay, so if the leak is not adequately drained by the chest tubes that are in place, I would have IR place a CT-guided pigtail drain to control the leak. I would leave him MPO with J-tube feeds for nutrition and leave the NG in place. How would you manage the persistent leak? I would manage it expectantly with close clinical observation, monitor the chest tube output, continue the J-tube feeds for nutrition, and repeat an esophagram in five to seven days. Is there anything else you could consider? I could talk to my uh, GI interventionalist and consider an esophageal stent. Okay, thank you. Be sure to listen to Part B for high-yield commentary and other tips and tricks.
Now, you'll hear part B, which includes high-yield commentary interspersed throughout the scenario. Behind the Knife Premium Scenario 16, Esophageal Perforation Developed by Jason Bingham Read by Jason Bingham and Kevin Canary So you have a 55-year-old male who presents to the emergency department six hours following an EGD complaining of substernal chest pain. Initial vital signs reveal sinus tachycardia and a systolic blood pressure of 85 millimeters mercury. He is febrile to 39 degrees Celsius. On exam, you hear a systolic crunchy sound at the left sternal border. There are diminished lung sounds in the left lower lobe, and subcutaneous emphysema is present. Labs are notable for a white count of 18,000, but otherwise unremarkable. How would you like to proceed? This is a common case presentation for esophageal perforation, an oral board's favorite. Other common presentations to be familiar would be, number one, perforation following pneumatic dilation for achalasia, two, Borhoff's, typically in an alcoholic patient or binge drinker, and three, perforated esophageal cancer. Any patient who presents with pain or fever following forceful vomiting, esophageal instrumentation, or chest trauma should be aggressively evaluated with the aim of ruling out perforation of the esophagus. The presentation is important as it has interoperative ramifications. For instance, the achalasia patient, you must address the distal obstruction caused by the hypertonic LES, otherwise your your repair will fail disastrously. Thus, you should be ready to perform a myotomy contralateral tree repair. A perforated cancer may require esophagectomy with delayed reconstruction. Okay, in this situation, I am highly suspicious for an iatrogenic esophageal perforation from his recent EGD with sepsis physiology given his tachycardia and hypotension. I would immediately evaluate the patient, establish large bore IV access, begin resuscitation with crystalloid, and start broad-spectrum antibiotics, including antifungal coverage. I'd also want a STAT EKG to rule out cardiac ideology of a substernal chest pain. Many times you'll have enough information from the prompt to make the diagnosis. It's okay to state your leading suspicion early and clearly establish your goals of care. This patient is clearly septic. It is important to recognize this and rapidly obtain adequate access and begin resuscitation while you're sorting out the rest of the clinical picture. Even though we are nearly 100% sure this prompt is leading us to esophageal perforation, it is important to remember other things on the differential, particularly life-threatening conditions, in this case, of a hypotensive patient with substernal chest pain, MI, or aortic dissection. You do not need to spend a lot of time here, but not mentioning life-threatening things on the differential and how you plan on ruling them out could constitute a critical failure for the scenario. EKG reveals sinus tachycardia. What antibiotics would you want to start? In this patient, I would begin with broad coverage, including vancomycin, zosin, and fluconazole. If you mentioned that you were going to start antibiotics, it is not uncommon for examiners to ask which one specifically you wanted to start. In most instances, there's not one correct answer, and regimen will vary by individual practice. For instance, there's no conclusive evidence that adding an antifungal is beneficial for patients with esophageal perforation. Some will add it, some will not. Regardless, you should have a general idea of what you would do if this were your patient in the ER. Do not overthink it and just say what you would do in real life. Okay, what next? With the resuscitation started, I would proceed with a thorough history and physical 
specifically focusing on any pre-existing cardiovascular disease, history of GERD or peptic ulcer disease, Crohn's, ethanol and tobacco use, or any other risk factors for gastroesophageal malignancy. I'd also want to know the reason for the EGD and review the report if available. For the most part, you will get all the background you need in the prompt, so don't waste a lot of time asking for superfluous details. This will just annoy your examiner. An efficient way of moving through an H&P portion is stating, I would perform a complete history physical focusing on blank, and then provide a short list of pertinent things that you would want to know. In this case, probably the most important piece of missing information are the EGD findings. So he does have a history of alcohol and tobacco abuse. Uh, the EGD was performed for medically refractory GERD with a finding of mild esophagitis, for which he was started on a daily PPI by his gastroenterologist. His history is otherwise unremarkable. I would obtain a portable chest x-ray and continue resuscitation. We have now obtained all the information we need, and it's time to begin to confirm our suspicion of esophageal perforation. A chest x-ray is the best place to start. Technically, a PA lat film would be preferred, but this takes time, and in the septic patient who is actively being resuscitated, a quick portable film will be sufficient. Again, just talk through what would you do in real life. Pneumomediastinium, subcutaneous emphysema, mediastinal widening, or mediastinal air fluid level may be seen in the chest x-ray. If cervical esophageal perforation is suspected, a lateral neck x-ray may demonstrate error in the prevertebral fascial planes. So your x-ray reveals a pneumomediastinum with a small left pleural effusion. With his history and imaging, this is highly suggestive of an esophageal perforation. Once I've adequately resuscitated the patient, I would obtain an esophagram with water-soluble contrast for localization of the perforation. What would you do if your, you know, gastrograph and swallow was negative for a leak? I would repeat the study with thin barium. Okay. Um, uh, do you have any other options? Yeah, sometimes we do a double contrasted CT scan. It can be useful in diagnosing esophageal perforation as well as ruling out other possible pathologies on the differential. However, with a high suspicion for esophageal perforation, such as this case, an esophagram is the preferred study due to its ability to better localize a leak. A contrast CT can be very useful in cases where there is a higher level of diagnostic uncertainty. CT is superior for evaluating other potential etiologies of the patient's presentation, such as aortic dissection or empyema. However, given we are at a high suspicion for perforation, a dynamic study like esophagram will be better at localizing the leak, which is essential for planning our operative approach. Water-soluble contrast should be used with any enteric perforation as it is readily absorbed in the pleura and peritoneal cavity, whereas barium results in chemical pleuritis or peritonitis. Dilute barium is more sensitive in demonstrating a leak and should be used if the initial gastrograph and swallow is negative. In patients at high risk for aspiration, use only dilute barium as aspiration of gastrographin results in profound pneumonitis and pulmonary edema with a high mortality. So your esophagram shows a distal esophageal perforation with extravasation of contrast into the left chest. Okay, so I need to take this patient emergently to the operating room for thoracotomy in order to control the leak and drain the left chest. You should be ready to discuss non-operative management of esophageal perforation, as the examiner may ask you in what patients you would consider managing non-op. 
Stable patients with a contained perforation is the answer. Know that esophageal stenting and IR-guided drainage does have a role in smaller leaks in stable patients. However, unless you perform esophageal stenting regularly and can talk through the details of sizing, placing, and troubleshooting a stent, don't say that's what you would do. Regardless, this patient is sick and needs to go to the OR. On the boards, you will always end up in the OR for this scenario. Can you describe how you would do that? I would position the patient in the right lateral decubitus position, preferably with single lung ventilation if tolerated. I would then perform a thoracotomy through the seventh intercostal space, harvesting the intercostal muscle flap on the way, later to be used as a repair buttress. I would mobilize the esophagus, debride necrotic tissue, and perform a vertical myotomy to fully expose the mucosal injury. I would perform a two-layer repair with a vicral inner layer and a silk outer layer, using my previously harvested intercostal flap to buttress the repair. I would perform a leak test through an NG tube inserted by anesthesia just proximal to the injury, then have the NG passed into the stomach. I would then irrigate the thorax with warm, sterile saline, place two chest tubes, one basilar and one apical, and then close the thoracotomy. Prior to leaving the OR, I would establish enteral access with the feeding jejunostomy performed through a separate, small upper abdominal incision. This is one of those procedures you should be able to efficiently describe in about a minute. You will need to tailor your surgical approach depending on the location of the perforation. The examiner may ask you how you would approach the injury in the following circumstances. Number one, proximal perforation. The answer would be left next exploration. Oftentimes, you can just place drains and leave the wound open or packed. Number two, a mid-esophageal perforation. The approach would be a right thoracotomy in the fourth to sixth intercostal space. Number three, a distal perforation. The answer is a left thoracotomy in the seventh interspace as performed in this case. If leakage into the abdomen below the diaphragm is noted, an upper midline abdominal approach is also acceptable. Don't forget the following important details of your operation. A tissue buttress of the repair. For example, a mental onlay, an intercostal or latissimus flap. The easiest way is to say that you would harvest the intercostal on the way in and use it. Remember to open the muscle to fully explore the mucosal injury. The mucosal injury will extend beyond the muscle injury. Repair with two layers, absorbable layer for the mucosa, permanent for the muscle. Always leak test through the NG tube. Always widely drain the chest and mediastinum. For your achalasia patient who is perforated after pneumatic dilation, remember to relieve the distal obstruction by performing a contralateral myotomy of the hypertonic LES. And always consider durable enteral access before you leave the OR. On this point, with regard to enteral access, in real life, you may not always do this. You would evaluate the repair and make a game time decision. This case has a 100% leak rate on the boards, so save yourself some trouble and say you would place a J-tube at the end of the index operation. Also, know your bailout options if the pathology is not amenable to primary repair. Examples include perforated cancer, mega esophagus from achalasia, caustic ingestion, or severely devitalized esophagus. Typically, this would involve resection or exclusion with proximal diversion. Another trick, if unable to perform, a prior repair is placing a T-tube through the injury to control the leak. With any of these damage control techniques, you will still need wide drainage and distal feeding access. I would not try to talk through resection with immediate reconstruction. Get out safely and live to fight another day. Okay, uh, so how do you, uh, you do all that, it goes well. How would you manage this patient uh, postoperatively? 
I would admit him to the ICU for monitoring and continue broad spectrum coverage given his sepsis physiology. I would continue the NG on low intermittent wall suction and provide enteral feeds through the J-tube provided he has evidence of bowel function. I would monitor the chest tube output and place them on water seal provided serial x-rays demonstrated appropriate lung expansion and no effusion accumulation. Uh, when he, So he's awake. When, when are you going to let him eat? So if he's doing well on post-operative day five, I would repeat an esophagram. And if there's no evidence of leak, I would remove the NG tube and start him on a liquid diet. There can be a fair bit of variability in your post-op plan. What is important is that you have a plan. Know how you want to manage the patient's antibiotics, diet advancement, and tubes and drains. Just remember, there will be a complication, so make your plans conservative. The important concept in this case is to leave tubes and don't advance diet until you have a radiographic confirmation that there is no leak. This is typically performed on postoperative day five. On the so let's say on the postoperative esophagram, uh, there appears to be a small leak at your repair site. What would you do then? Okay, so if the leak is not adequately drained by the chest tubes that are in place, I would have IR place a CT guided pigtail drain to control the leak. I would leave him MPO with J tube feeds for nutrition and leave the NG in place. How would you manage the persistent leak? I would manage it expectantly with close clinical observation, monitor the chest tube output, continue the J-tube feeds for nutrition, and repeat an esophagram in five to seven days. Like I said, there's a 100% leak rate. Fortunately, we set ourselves up nicely with plenty of drains and enteral access. What's key is do not rush back to the OR. The patient is stable. The tissues are going to be dog meat and have no goodwill outcome will come from going back to the OR at this time. The treatment is supportive. Control the contamination, provide nutrition, and wait. Is there anything else you could consider? I could talk to my uh, GI interventionalist and consider an esophageal stent. Okay, thank you. Again, you should be familiar with the role for esophageal stenting in this patient that is becoming more widespread. If you're proficient in the procedure, feel free to say you would do it yourself, but be prepared to talk about the intricacies of stenting. Probably safer is just to say you would talk to GI about doing it. Thank you for listening to Behind the Knife Premium Oral Board Review. Dominate the day.